Hello and welcome to Future Thinking, the podcast that looks at the theme set to shape asset management and the world around us in the years to come. I'm your host, Chris Slowly, the editor of CityWire Selector. ETFs is an area we discussed in the first series of the podcast with Rise ETF co-founder Rahul Bhushan, explaining why thematics have become an increasingly aggressive area of development. But how has that progressed over the last year? And what nuances in this story might we be missing? Today, I'm joined by Roxanne Sanguinetti, Head of Fixed Income and Investor Relations at ETF Market Maker and Product Developer, GHCO. In this discussion, Roxanne and I drilled down further into how thematics will become a key component of passive products, but also how they could prove a vital part in the efforts to improve equality in finance. As with most discussions, we also touch upon ARK Invest's rampant rise in this field and the classification problems that continue to cause investors headaches. Roxanne, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we're talking at a time where we've seen a huge growth in the two things that you're involved in, both thematics and ETFs. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We did touch upon this in our first series, but we're going to develop and evolve that conversation. So let's start there then. I mean, coming at it, if it's not too big or broader question, how do you see thematics in an ETF wrapper developing and changing over time? And what areas do you think are most likely to get the ETF treatment? Sure. Um, so. Today, I think, is the first time ever that anyone can access such a, a varied range of investment opportunities and pretty much at the touch of a button. Um, so anyone can build a diversified portfolio um, thanks to ETFs. Uh, and you can, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's crazy. You can just buy a couple of hundred pounds of Chinese bonds or, or Brazil equities. And it was completely unthinkable, I think, a few years ago. Um, and I'm also part of a newer generation, which is learning faster, I think, on how to invest and that values cost and efficiency. Um, so there is here um, a real opportunity for, for thematic ETFs to really reach a wider audience. Um, and I think I can go even further um, to say that it is the perfect asset class for women as well, who have traditionally been neglected by the wealth management industry. Um, so I would probably split the development of thematic ETFs into two parts from what we are seeing at GHCO. Um, and just to, just to sum it up, um, GHCO is a sponsored market maker for, for all types of ETFs. Um, so what that means is that we provide liquidity um, in these ETFs because in Europe, the market is a lot less mature than in the US. So lot more fragmented. So it needs support from people like us. Um, so basically, the development of thematic ETFs in two parts is what we're seeing in investment themes, but also in the ways to invest. Um, in terms of megatrends, I think we can talk about it for hours. Um, so I'll, I will only name a few that, that we've noticed in terms of flow. Um, and it's probably the pandemic that, that accelerated a lot, the adoption of key sectors. So Obviously, tech um, is on every lips. Um, and we are uh, at GHCO very supportive of the adoption of cryptocurrency ETFs um, because investors want access, convenience, security. Um, other than that, there's a lot of demand for Asia. Um, yep. It has recovered faster than Europe. And where before you could only trade China as a whole, now you can trade China tech, Chinese bonds, um, very valuable. Um, and then natural resources are also blowing up. Um, and we think that water could become a very key theme. Um, 
But what's interesting in the ways to invest is that we're seeing a lot of newcomers in the ETF arena. So typically people with innovative ideas who are experts in their field, um, but they know nothing about bringing ETFs to market. So um, we do see a lot of potential in, in providing white labeling of ETFs. Um, so it's typically um, one of our partners, Han ETFs, um, has become a specialist at that. And um, it, it, it's quite fascinating um, how quickly smart advice disseminates um, nowadays. Like people can just follow successful traders on, on Robinhood or, or over trading apps. And so um, a bit, if you want, like Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway, um, was a few years ago, you know, people used to follow their investment advice. Now you can just see it in real time as people are trading, you can follow that advice. So we also think that it's not long before we start seeing um, uh, PM ETFs, so active investing ETFs. That's really interesting. There's, there's several points I'd begin to pick up on in there. One that really jumps out at me was where you talked about the the implications for female investors. Could we delve into that a little bit more? Because you said that they've been largely neglected by wealth management as it exists. How does ETF, how does the ETF model favour or in some way level the playing field in that regard? So, I think there's still a lot of a lot of bias and and a lot of problems with the, the wealth management industry when it comes to servicing um, the female um, female clients. And what we're seeing nowadays is that women are um, amassing greater wealth than before. And this share is also likely to, to grow significantly in the years ahead. So um, it, it's a number of factors that come into this. I think um, uh, definitely with um, a longer lifespan, you're improving health, you're improving educational access um, for women as well. So um, typically, you, what you'll see is that women investors will be more sensitive to, um, to different angles when we are looking at investments um, compared to men. And I think the wealth management industry has been very slow at catering to these needs. Um, and there's another aspect of it that is the fact that women will face different challenges for their financial journey. Um, so obviously things like the pay gap that we all know about, but there's also the fact that women get out of work at different times in their lives compared to men. So they need a different, um, they need a different financial timeline, if you want. Um, what we're seeing as well is that I think women are more concerned on on, on ESG factors. Um, I read very recently there was a BCG survey that said that 64% of women are actually factoring ESG into their investment decisions, which is a lot more than men, which I think was below 29%, I think. Um, so, so there is a different angle that needs to be approached when you're when you're catering to women, and ETFs are perfect for that because. Because, and especially if you look at the thematic ETFs, because um, they give women um, more um, a direct transparency, more access um, to use their financial knowledge and to feel like they're um, they're supported. So um, you know everything that ESG is what is a, is what's concerned them, then they can directly go and look for that specific portfolio that will be right for them. Um, so I think it's very valuable. 
with that, I mean, I think I take that as a hugely valid point. And I think the time horizons is a really important element within that, because we've seen with ETFs, especially when we speak to fund selectors who are our core audience, they use ETFs more tactically. They tend to be stop gaps where people park money to access an opportunity more quickly. Do you, and this isn't solely to the point about the, the representation of female investors. Do you see ETFs becoming much more of a, a building block or a, a solid foundation of an investment than a short term play in the future? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where we see also um, differences in investor behavior and attitudes, um, but also not just in terms of gender, but actually in terms of generations. Because I think with younger generations, and, and you can see it already with, with millennials, uh, both men and women, um, they will be investing on a different, um, different timescale, actually. Um, and they will want that purpose-driven investing as opposed to just um, just your typical stock picking. Of course, of course. Well, can I just move on slightly? Because one thing that we've seen, mm -hmm. and this isn't, um, I'm playing devil's advocate to an extent, is, is what are the limitations of ETFs? Because we've seen a lot of movements into different areas. We've seen, for example, some big US investors have launched space exploration ETFs. We've seen mm -hmm. many ETFs mapped over so what might be considered, and I'm not saying space exploration is this, but more hype sectors. Are there any dangers with the proliferation of ETFs? And, and are there areas you think that there shouldn't be that much um, growth just for the um, sake of the lack of depth of market? I, I yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So um, what what we've been seeing is, is that, um, of course, every ETF issuer wants to be the, the first to bring to market a niche ETF that will then grow to be the next trend. So um, in a way, every PM wants to be the next Kathy Wood. Um, but there needs to be a balance, right? Um, because a lot of these mega trend sectors, you're very young, like you see a space ETF, for example. So young that these verticals that be um that they're investing in did not exist three to five years ago. I mean, if we think about the word fintech, right? Um yeah. and the most interesting companies in these sectors are still small caps. So there are simply not enough listed companies within this narrow cast themes. Um, and, and you have similar constraints that exist actually in emerging markets as well. So um, there's a risk with thematic ETFs that are for both investors and issuers alike. So in terms of over-concentration that can lead to high volatility and the end investors might not realize that their whole investment can be greatly impacted by just one company. Um, and they will also see wider spreads on their trades and, and higher fees. So where the ETF ends up holding a, a large percentage of small cap shares, um, any significant inflows or outflows can really destabilize the underlying stock positions. Um, and, and interestingly, we've seen countries that are implementing restrictions. So for example, if you look at the Vietnam ETF, um, it has a threshold for creation, creation redemption per day to limit any impact. Um, so if there is too much inflow or outflow, um, you'll be put in a waiting list, kind of a queue, um, to, to create or redeem the ETF. Um, so from our point of view as, as market makers, will prefer um, having wider, more liquid baskets um, in the ETFs. That will definitely reduce the volatility and it, it facilitates a, a cheaper um, um, processes and, and lower fees. Um, 
But again, it's 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 better for us. But again, for investors, it might be a trade off. Um, because, like you say, everyone is launching the same um, type of, of, of themes, um, and then when you go into these these um, specific themes, like for example, the, the so-called vegan ETFs, um, you'll have investors believe that they are investing in, in ESG agriculture and, and veganism, when in reality they are actually invested in, in a combination of momentum or, or growth stocks. So, um, you know. The typical um, suspects of Tesla, Microsoft, Apple—they will all be um, added um, to to the baskets for diversification. So it becomes really important to look at the correlation across, <clears throat> sorry, across the whole portfolio. So, but but it's a matter of transparency from my point of view because if these TF issuers and indexers um, are transparent about the risks involved and and in a way, they really need to constantly adapt um, because the investing landscape is is changing really rapidly. I would agree. I think what I've understood from my side of things is the the, the transparency as is important as the education that goes around it. Because Dr. Nisha Long, who is our head of cross border investment research, did a good piece of analysis last year where she looked at e- uh, tech ETFs and the fact that because of the way that the the GICs, GICs, sorry, the global investment classifications had changed, a lot of what people yeah. consider tech stocks were actually in. Uh, telecommunications or somewhere even in sort of the retail areas. So there is an element of people need to know what they're buying and not just be drawn to the flashy new ideas. And again, I'm not in any way singling out Cathy Wood and Arc because they've had fantastic success, but just seeing mm-hmm. successful manager launches interesting theme doesn't always work. And there does need to be an element of scrutiny from the investor side of things. Mm-hmm. But but I think what we're seeing as well is from the investor point of view, um, even retail investors are are getting more knowledgeable. They, um, there is a higher financial literacy than ever before, in my opinion. And how does that help you then? I mean, because you, you're working on the composition side of things, you're doing construction. You, I know we were going to move on to talking about pricing as well. The fact that investors are more engaged, does it make those conversations easier to have when you're trying to develop something? So, from our point of view, it's, it makes the, the discussions with the um, the ETF providers and indexers easier. Yes, um, and that's where um, we we differentiate ourselves. Actually, at GHCO, is um, we really enjoy the collaboration on on a long term basis with the ETF providers. So, so whenever we see that that there is um, a, a, an issue of risk of over concentration or or um, any specifics in the, the the operational setup of the ETF that can be improved, um, we'll happily discuss and and try to provide guidance um, as much as we can to because it's in it's in everyone's um, in best interest to have more liquidity on on all these ETFs and, and to see them grow really. Of course, of course. Well, I mean, I was going to raise a point about the industry in general because we we have talked about um, types of themes, types of developments. We did see a sort of race to the bottom over the last eighteen months, two years, where the traditional asset managers were launching new ETFs, and it seemed they were going to the point where they wanted to be the cheapest. We did see a group in America called Salt that launched a, a negative fee ETF mm-hmm. as well. That seems to have leveled out to an extent. Do you? But do you still see there being competition? at a pricing level? 
Yes, um, yes, there is, and and I think it is important um, because this is this is how you can bring more innovations and and efficiencies. Um, but they are becoming less important um, because take the Bitcoin ETFs for example. If between the time you place an order and and the time it gets executed. It has already moved by 1%, and that's on top of 80 bit spread. Mm. And then within the month, it moves 30%. Do you actually really care about paying 70 bips in, in management fee? Not really. Um, so what becomes important now, I think, is, is really the execution and the liquidity. So even if you look at more traditional markets like US equities and, and investment-grade corporate bonds, um, we are seeing better execution than ever more liquidity, and the emergence of, of really innovative algos. Um, so every bank at the moment is, is now focusing on building bond portfolio trading platforms um, and algorithms. So, And it's in part because of the fixed income ETFs, because of the creation and redemption process that they're putting this in place. So definitely bringing a lot of innovation. But the headline management fee of an ETF can drop to zero, and there's still a lot more that these ETFs can compete on um, because the investors will still face costs that are directly linked um, with the operational setup and with the liquidity of the ETF. So in, typically in the shape of the spread and also possibly of a premium discount on, on the NAV to the ETF, the net assets value. So execution, liquidity, education, diversity, thematic. There's a lot going on in ETFs at the moment, Roxanne. It seems like it's enough to be keeping you busy. Definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. It's, well, it's a very exciting sector. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me about it today. And I look forward to catching up in the future as well. Thank you, Chris.